Bay Hills, welcome to our time uh, where we're going to look at the word a little bit. It is good to have this digital platform where we can at least meet. It would be much better to get together. But the situation in our country and our community necessitates that we do it this way. And I'm glad. I've already heard from some of you all over the country and even around the world that you are gathering with us today. And, uh, you know, it's been a crazy week, don't you think? Uh, boy, things went crazy. Uh, and, and our world got turned upside down with what's going on with corona and the, the COVID virus. And I was trying to think, just in my own life, we've all had individual crisis and times when, when our life got turned upside down. And I thought, you know, I was thinking, you know, the first time that happened to me, I was 12 years old. Uh, we're living in Spain. That's where I grew up. And my parents were out on a Friday night. I was home alone. And all of a sudden on the news, uh, everything was broadcast that Coronel Tejero of the Guardia Civil had, had gone over a coup. He was trying to take over the country and throw out the king. There were tanks on the streets, and there was, a, there was mass pandemonium and martial law. And boy, as a, as a 12-year-old, I felt like my world was getting turned upside down. Fast forward, 1991, two days before Christmas. Sandy and I are in Chicago. We come down from our apartment. It's cold. It's winter time. There's snow everywhere, only to discover that both of our cars on the same night had been stolen. You, you talk about our world getting turned upside down. Uh, then fast forward a little bit more to, to 2012, the day before Father's Day. My daughter Julie is in the backyard. She's playing with a soccer ball. She slips, falls backward, hits her head on the concrete. And that Father's Day, I spent it in ICU with my daughter at Children's Hospital at Oakland. That, that was certainly a day where my world got turned upside down. Thankfully, she recovered fully. And, and then, of course, the last thing that kind of I'm thinking of is just a couple months ago when I busted up my leg and couldn't walk for three months. We all have stories like that, don't we? Individual times when our life just got turned upside down. Well, we just went through, kind of like back at 9-11, a week where collectively our country and our world got turned upside down. And what I want to do is for the next 20 minutes, I want to show you how this book speaks to that. What do I do during times of crisis and during times of chaos? What do I do when my world gets turned upside down? Now, can, can we just be real, right? It's just, it's just us. You, uh, you with your device, you with a couple people in your living room watching this at whatever time you are. Um, we'll get over this in the next month, the next three months, whatever. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pass, and life will go back to normal, and kids will go back to school, and people will go back to work, and, and people, churches will start meeting again collectively. We'll get to that point, but let's be real. Six months from now, a year from now, three years from now, we will again have a time when our, our world, whether it's individually or collectively, gets turned upside down. What are you going to do? What are you going to do now? What are you going to do then? I want to show you that, that God's word has some incredibly helpful things to say to us in terms of how to live. So I'm going to talk to you about three wise responses to the corona, COVID virus, and, and, and in particular, how I'm supposed to respond in a way that allows me to continue living. First of all, I want to talk about your emotional response. And, and God really wants us to be a people that controls our worry and manages our anxiety, that we don't live in fear. I, I looked it up. The average person worries two hours and 28 minutes every single day or 900 hours a week. I think some of us worried 900 hours every day this past week, some of us. 85% uh, about what we worry about never happens. 84% of us have lost sleep because of worry and anxiety. And this one was interesting to me. We as Americans, or the United States of America, is ranked as the number one most anxious country in the world. That's surprising to me because we are, we are so blessed. We have so much good things that we've been given comparatively to other countries. I also looked up what do we worry about. I want, as I give you this list, be honest if you worry about any of these things. 
top things that we worry about. We worry about crime, terrorism, and safety. We worry about our appearance or missing a plane. These next three relate to what's going on now. We worry about our health, a relative's health, or even a pet's health. We worry about being late, job security. We worry about getting old or looking old. We worry about finances, finding a spouse, not waking up to our alarm, our future, our kids. We worry about worrying. Have you ever done that? I shouldn't be worrying. Now I'm worrying about worrying. We worry about diet. We worry about traffic. We worry about being loved. And the number one thing people worry about, this is interesting, is being attacked and killed by neighborhood cats. Now that's, that's just me. That slipped into my notes by accident. But uh, be honest. As I went through that list, how many of you were thinking, dang, David, you're right. Not only do we have to worry about coronavirus, we got all these other things to worry about. You're right. Let me ask you a question. How much did you worry this past week? How much were you controlled by anxiety? Did you ever get to the point, in however way you did it, did you ever get to the point of fear and panic? Could, could I tell you, look, look at me carefully here. That, that's not how God wants you to live. That's how he never intended you to live that way. Let me give you a couple verses and, and draw your attention to what scripture says. So in Philippians 4, he says to us, don't be anxious about, now notice what it says there, about anything. I, I think anything includes coronavirus. What do you think? Don't be anxious about that. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is speaking. He says, don't, don't worry about tomorrow. He's not saying you to live flippantly. He's saying don't be controlled by worry. In 2 Timothy 1.7, we read that God has not given you a spirit of fear. He doesn't want you to live in panic. Now, you got to be careful because you could very easily pluck these verses out of context. And some, you're going to hear some Christians go, it's no big deal. Don't worry. Just don't you trust God and have faith? And it sounds so spiritual, but be careful. This isn't, this isn't saying you're not allowed to respond emotionally to problems or crisis when your world gets turned upside down. You got to be careful to pluck a verse out of context in terms of what the rest of scripture says. I'm going to show you, even right in the context of one of these verses, how, how it's a little different. I want you to notice, two chapters before Paul says not to worry and not to be anxious, chapter four, notice what he says in chapter two. Notice the implication that he was worrying and was anxious. Watch. He says, I'm more eager to send Epaphroditus to you. Epaphroditus was from the church of Philippi. He traveled to Rome to visit Paul, and while in Rome, he'd got really sick and almost died. And Paul was a little bit stressed. He's a little bit anxious. He's a little bit worrisome. Why do we know that? Because he says, I can't wait to send him back to you so that I might have less anxiety. And I'm like, time out. So which one, it is, which one am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to never be anxious, never worry? Because that's what that verse seems to imply. Or are there times or are there ways that I can express worry, concern, and anxiety that are legitimate? And I want to show you that, in fact, there are. Let me give you just real quickly, by way of explanation, four types of anxiety. You've got beneficial anxiety. You go, what is beneficial anxiety? You have a big project at work with a deadline. You're part of a sports team and you're getting ready for a big game. If you're a student, you've got an exam that's coming up and you're studying, studying, studying. Sometimes the pressure of something coming creates a little bit of anxiety and stress that actually helps you perform well. That's what's known as beneficial anxiety. Clinical anxiety, this is a, a, a chemical imbalance in your body. It's very serious. Like any illness, it should be diagnosed and treated. Then you have consequential anxiety. What is consequential anxiety? It's when we make dumb decisions. It's when we do stupid stuff, right? So if you cheat on your taxes, or you cheat on your expense report, or you cheat on your spouse, 
or you drive recklessly and very, very fast, or uh, I, I don't know, you don't study for a final exam, or you yell at your boss and, and call them a bleeping fool, or you spend money you don't have on things you don't need, or you gamble away your rent money. Any one of those things, and I could keep giving you a list. If we do that, well, eventually we will experience the consequences of bad decisions, and, and we will experience anxiety. Sometimes the anxiety we experience we were just, we made a bad choice. But what I want to talk to you about is this last one, because this is what the Bible focuses on. How do I respond in a healthy manner to problems and troubles, but how do I avoid bad or sinful anxiety? I'm going to try and explain this to you by way of a graph or a chart. I hope you could see it. If not, just listen through. Let me show you the difference between acceptable anxiety and unacceptable anxiety. So acceptable anxiety, you analyze and think about the problem. Even what we've been going through now, what's, should, what's going on in the world, what should I do, how should I respond? But unacceptable anxiety, you amplify and watch. You obsess about the problem. Come on now. Any of us done that this past week? Acceptable anxiety, you choose to control it. Yes, it's a problem. But unacceptable anxiety, you let anxiety and worry consume you acceptable anxiety, uh, you lean into God and you talk to Jesus about your problem and about your worry. It's called prayer. Over and over again, we're told you got problems, you got issues, you got stress and worry, talk to God. But instead of that, many of us, unacceptable anxiety, we lean into the problem and talk to ourselves. We all talk to ourselves, all of us. It's kind of embarrassing when people catch us talking to ourselves, but we all do that. And some of us talk to ourselves about the problem and it goes over, around and around and around in our brain acceptable anxiety, it eventually fades because a a month from now or three months from now, COVID-19 will be gone and we'll go back to life. But watch, unacceptable anxiety always is there. Some of us, five months from, from now, will not be worrying about coronavirus. You'll be worrying about something else. You will be controlled by the anxiety of your finances or your family or different health issues or future. And that's not right. It's not what God calls us to be. Acceptable anxiety, it's debilitating, it impacts us, but unacceptable anxiety is destructive. So here's the summary. Acceptable anxiety, it's understandable. It's normal. God didn't make you to be a robot. You respond emotionally to problems and stress and crisis situations or your world get turned upside down. Unacceptable anxiety is unhealthy and it's sinful. I have some friends that about two months ago, their son was diagnosed with, with cancer. And boy, I can't even imagine as a parent going through that. But, uh, you know, he's fighting it. I've been texting him. He's doing, he's, you know, going through the treatments. They're handling it as maturely and as strongly as they can. But then with this added coronavirus such, there's an added concern level. Let me ask you a question. How do you think it would come across if I went to them and said, ah, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious It'll be fine. Don't you trust Jesus? Don't you trust God? That would be rude and unsensitive. It's acceptable to have an emotional response to problems and to crisis. It's okay. Now, not being controlled by that is something different. Listen, we, we, we don't, sometimes we give out notes at, at, at church to jot this down. We don't have notes, but you may want to jot this down on your phone. This is important. The presence of anxiety in your life is unavoidable. You know why? Because we live in a world with problems. We do. And, and you will have stressors, and you will have crisis, and you will have chaos. It'll be smaller or larger, but the presence of problems and anxiety, it's unavoidable. You have to learn to cope with that and maturely handle that. But watch, the prison of anxiety is optional. 
And that is especially want to, want to speak to some of you today who even in this past week have been imprisoned in your mind and in your soul emotionally. And I want to tell you, God doesn't want you and never called you to live that way. C.S. Lewis was a, uh, a British professor and author. And during World War II, the British are fighting the Nazis, the Germans, and he writes something very interesting about the threat of nuclear war. Just let me read it to you. He says this. He says, if we're all going to be destroyed by atomic bomb, when it comes, let that bomb find us doing something sensible and human, like praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing our children, playing tennis with a friend, chatting over a beer with others, or playing a game of darts, not huddled like frightened sheep thinking about bombs. They may break our body, but the bomb does not have to dominate our mind. I want to encourage you, even in the midst of a, a world that got turned upside down, to keep living. Friday night, Sandy and I were going to have some friends over for, for dinner, and we thought, should we still have it? We are going to have fondue. And you know what we decided? We decided to have the friends over, but change what we were going to eat, because fondue, there's a lot of touch and everything. We had pizza. And the point is, we're trying to be smart and wise. We don't want to be controlled by what's going on around us. We still got together with our friends. So emotionally, Work at controlling your anxiety. Now let me talk to you about intellectually how to respond. I want to encourage you to think about the problem and the crisis and the chaos a little bit differently. I, I want to, especially I want you to think about how God intersects with what's going on in your problem. There's a story, it's been around for a while, about two very mischievous boys. And they're always misbehaving. They're very young. They go to a local Catholic school. And their single mom goes to the, goes to the priest at the Catholic school who also doubles up at the principal and says, can you, can you help me out? Help me out with my boys. Can you talk to them? And he says, sure, bring them into the office before school and I'll talk to them and see if I could kind of, you know, get them straight, knock some sense into them. So they go to the office early and the mom drops them off in the waiting room and then the, the priest asks the, the youngest of the two to come into his office. And the youngest sits across the desk and the priest just stares at him awkwardly, uncomfortably. And then he finally asks this question, where is God? And the little kid's like, I don't, I don't know what that means. He doesn't say anything. Another 10 seconds, pause, and then he says a little more sternly, a little more loudly, where is God? Well, now this kind of, kind of bothering, freaking the little boy out, and finally another couple 10 seconds go by, and the priest again says, where is God? And this, the, the, the little boy is just panicked and frantic. He jumps out of the seat. He runs out of the office. He grabs his brother's hand. And they run for three blocks back home. Eventually, they stop, and they catch their breath, you know, and the older brother's like, what happened? What's wrong? What happened in the office? And the younger brother says, he says, God's missing, and they think we had something to do with it. So let me ask you a question. Where, where's God been this last week? Is he missing in what's going on in our world? Is he just taking a nap? Where is he? Why doesn't he stop it? It's interesting to me that when we have crisis, when, when our world gets turned upside down, whether it's individually or corporately, it's interesting how we think about God and how he intersects with the problem. There's several things that some of us think about. Some of us think that God is unaware. I, almost, I hear people, and it's almost like they think that God is getting updates on coronavirus from CNN. He doesn't have a clue what's going on. Some people think that God is, uh, is unable to fix the problem. He knows what's going on, but can't fix it. Some people think he's unavailable. Have you, ever, have you ever felt this? You know, God's got a world to run. Right now, he's trying to fix coronavirus. He doesn't have time for your problems. Let him be. 
And some of us have this mistaken idea that he's not available to even help us. And, and of course, that concludes with this idea that, that God's unloving. He might be able to do something about it, but he doesn't care about us enough to actually step in. I've actually already started to hear it. If you go online, if you Google it, you'll, there's already one or two out there saying it, right? The question, is the coronavirus God's judgment on the world? Now, as your pastor, if you hear another Christian say that, you have my permission to kick him in the throat. That bothers me so much that we would go there, right? I get that there are consequences for, for misbehavior and sin, but you can't go there. You, you, you can't understand that. I, I, this is a big topic, but let me try and help you process and understand God's role in, is he making this happen, not making it happen? His role in human suffering. There's a verse in James chapter one. And in James chapter one, he says this. He says, all good and perfect gifts come from God. In other words, your stocked full fridge, that comes from God. The cars that you drive, that's a gift from God. The home that you live in, from God. The kids that you love and family members and friends, that's from God. The job that you have, that's from God. The health that you have. We're living in a health crisis, but many of us watching today are feeling great. The health that you have, that's from God. All the good stuff you have in life ultimately can be traced back to the fact that you have a God that loves you and wants to give you stuff and bless you. Now, this is not true of all the verses, but there are times when verses have a flip side of the coin. What's the opposite of good and perfect? Well, you see it. The opposite of good and perfect is, is evil and hurtful. All hurtful things, all evil things, all human suffering can be traced back to the opposite of God, to, to Satan and sin. This is really important. Listen to me very, very carefully. Because when you experience trouble, when you experience suffering, when bad things happen to you or loved ones, especially, especially when they're unfair, it is, it, it is legitimate to be upset. It is a legitimate to be, have an emotional response and even angry. I just want to make sure that your emotions are directed to the source of that problem. And the source is always, every single time, sin. This book says that all human suffering, all evil in the world, all of it is either directly or indirectly sin's fault. It didn't come from God. Sometimes we get upset at God. Why did you let that happen? Now, that's a very good question, but it's a different question. He's not making this happen. In fact, the story of this book is God coming to try and deal with and take care of that problem. So what I want to encourage you to do is in, in the context of problems, life getting turned upside down, please remember that God is in control. God does love you. God is available to you. When you get knocked off your seat and fall on your butt on the floor, don't forget that he's still on his throne in heaven under control. All right? I'm not smart enough to figure out all the answers of what, why, how. We can get that to another time, but at least in the context of the problems we're going through now, the kind of the world crisis, understand and think correctly of at least God's role in what's going on. So we've talked emotionally, we've talked intellectually, now I want to talk just practically. Practically, how do you respond to, to COVID-19 and your world get turned upside down? I just very simply want to encourage you to be smart, be wise. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. Don't live like a fool. Don't we all have at least three or four people we want to say that to? But let's not make it about them. How about we let this verse just be about us for the moment? Let's not, let's not live foolishly. 
He says, but instead, live like those who are wise. Live a life of wisdom. Be smart in how you live. Uh, what do I mean? Let me just real quickly give you some suggestions. I want to encourage you to be loving. So for, for all of you out there that are hoarding toilet paper, stop doing that. I don't know what I'm missing with the toilet paper. Um, those of you who have 42 rolls at home, uh, go next door to your neighbor. They're using paper towel. They need a roll of toilet paper. I don't know what I'm missing there. Uh, but, you know, being selfish is the opposite of being loving, right? And, and, and sometimes being loving just is in your speech. The country that I grew up in, Spain, is, is literally in a lockdown, you know, 50-some million people, 60 million people are all at home. They're shutting down restaurants. The only people working are the medical personnel. And there was, there was a video that came out um, about what, what the people of Spain did a couple nights ago, uh, about 10 p.m., uh, because they can't leave their homes. This was kind of something that spread virally and everything. They all, everyone's in apartments there. Everything's kind of tight. They all went to their veranda. They all went to outside to their window, and all at 10 p.m., they acknowledged the workers, the medical personnel that were working tirelessly to help people, and they all started clapping. They all started applauding and, and singing. You know what? Sometimes being loving is just saying to someone, thank you. It, it's, it's verbally appreciating what they're doing. And it's not just medical personnel now. It could be your, son, your, your school teacher. It, it, it could be a, a waiter or a waitress that has served you food. It, it could be your spouse or your parent. Be loving. The others, be helpful. We already are seeing the, the domino effect of um, the financial impact of what's happening. You, you do know there's going to be people that need a bag of groceries. In fact, you probably heard it. Maybe you did a video earlier this week. If you need groceries and you're in this Bay Area, touch base with Bay Hills. We'll figure out a way to help you. We'll figure out a way to help you. But, but maybe it's not the church helping you. Maybe it's you helping someone else. Be helpful. Um, it, it could be, you know, in our area, a lot of kids are at home, the schools are closed. It could be watching someone's kid for an hour because mom or dad got to go do something. Um, there's a story that is, I don't know if it's viral, but I saw it. It was very interesting about this elderly couple who are the most concerned about what's happening, most vulnerable with this virus. And they, they, they wanted, they needed groceries, but they felt uncomfortable going in. And they just sat in their car in the parking lot until they got talking to someone and they Eventually gave them a grocery list and 100 bucks, and that person went in for 30 minutes, bought their groceries. Goodness gracious me, that's, that's what it means to be helpful. That's what it means to, 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 to reach out to people around. And by the way, it's not just during a time of crisis. Just look around you. God has placed you uniquely at work or at school, in your community, around a group of people. I guarantee you there's at least one person that could use your help. The last thing is I, I just want to encourage you to be smart. Be, be smart when it... When it comes to how you deal with even what's going on, I don't know if you saw what Rudy Gobert did from the Utah Jazz. Rudy Gobert is the first guy that was diagnosed with the virus in the NBA and caused the suspension of the basketball league. And a couple weeks ago, uh, I, I don't know if he's trying to be funny or kind of mocking, but after an interview, he touched all the microphones and he touched the table as if to kind of mock what was going on and I'm going to be fine. Well, it turns out he was the first guy to get it. And he's kind of, you know, apologized publicly, but you, you've got to be smart. When it comes to being healthy physically, there's things that we're being told to do, and I want to encourage you to follow what medical personnel are telling us. But it's not just that. It's also be smart when it comes to family health or, fin or financial health or spiritual health. Two weeks ago, those of you who know me, you know that when I get a cold, I cough loud. And I, I was waking up in the middle of the night. I was coughing so loud. At, at four in the morning, I called the advice nurse. 
And I told her, of course, what was going on. They go, well, have you, have you been out of the country? And I have. I've been to a cruise uh, the beginning of January. They're like, oh, no. I want, you know, and so, well, can you breathe? Yeah, I can breathe. you have a fever? No, I don't have a fever. Well, we want to see you anyway. But as soon as you walk into the hospital, we want you to wear a mask. And so they gave me this mask. And I put it on. And I waited to meet with the doctor. And I took it off. And I met with the doctor. And, and then... Um, and then she looks me over, and she does a bunch of different things, and she says, you, you don't have the virus. Y- yes, you have a cold. You have laryngitis. Some of you can probably still hear it in my voice a little bit, but you're, you're fine, so to speak. You're not, it's going to play, it, play out, and, and uh, you know, that was two weeks ago. And, and so I, as I'm about to leave, I said, by the way, do I, do I have to keep wearing the mask? And, and it was very interesting what my doctor said to me. They said, well, technically probably not. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. We, we're living right now during a time where everyone's a little bit worried. And if someone sees you coughing, they may freak out a little bit. So how about you wear the mask for someone else? In other words, wear it so that you, you minimize concern on their part if you start coughing. It's not for you, but wearing the mask is for someone else. You know, there's a, there's a different virus in our world that's far more serious than COVID-19. There's a different virus that's far more destructive than the coronavirus. It's a virus that's been around for years. It's a virus that's very, very deadly. It's a virus that if you don't do something about, um, the impact on you is eternal. Um, Some of you probably know where I'm going here, but let me show you the difference of these two viruses. COVID-19 the virus is, produces serious physical and earthly consequences. It's very serious, right? Um, but the sin virus produces disastrous spiritual and eternal consequences. Here's the thing. Very few of us will get the virus, COVID-19. That's what I'm being told, right, here in the United States, that, that there'll be a small percentage of people that get it, and it's very serious, and we have to try and stop the spread of it, and that's what we're doing now. A percentage of people will get this virus, but watch, 100% of people have that virus. 100% of us have been infected by the virus that is sin. I want to wrap up, and I just want to share with you a couple verses that I, I think will show you where the sin virus came from and how we fix it. Sin, the virus that we know as sin, entered the world through one man. Did you guys see in the news this past week, they found patient zero. That's the first person in China they think that had it and started this domino effect that everybody got the coronavirus. They found that person. Well, when it comes to this virus, the sin virus, the same thing. Sin entered the world through one man. There was patient zero was a guy called Adam. And when he disobeyed God, like a, like a domino effect, it spread to all mankind. The impact is that in every way, death came to all people. Spiritual separation from God was the impact. Now watch. Just as there's one patient zero, there's also one antidote. Just a couple verses later in verse 15, God's grace, God's gift, which is the antidote to sin, came through one man. His name is Jesus. You heard that I went on this cruise in January. It was, it was wonderful from Australia to New Zealand. New Zealand was surprisingly breathtaking. And uh, one of the things that New Zealand is known for is the sheep. It's sheep. And I, I remember one day we were in a van and we, were dro- we drove for a couple hours around a part of New Zealand and there were sheep everywhere. And it, it made me remember and think of uh, uh, something about the, the, the lambing industry in New Zealand. They've got this unique problem that when, when baby lambs are born, 
Many of them die during birth, and many of the mama sheep die while giving birth. And so they have this problem where they have orphan baby lambs, and then they have moms that have, have also died, you know? And so what they try and do is they try and connect the two. They try and connect the mama lamb who's lost a, a, a baby and the orphan lamb that lost a mom. Does that, you understand what I'm saying? So they try and connect them. The problem is that when they bring the orphan lamb to the, mom, to the mama lamb, mama sheep, she rejects them. She rejects them because she could smell and says, that's not my kid. And they, they've discovered a solution as old as farming itself and sheeping itself. And here's what they do. They go to the dead lamb and they skin that lamb. And then they take the, the, the skin of that lamb and they drape it over the orphan lamb. And now they bring it to the mama sheep. And it's at that point that the mama sheep recognizes that that's my kid. They recognize the skin that is over that orphan. You know what? That's exactly what Jesus did for you. When he died on the cross for your sins, that was the antidote to the sin virus. And when you approach God, the creator of the universe, you and I don't approach him because we're anything special. We approach him if we put our faith in Jesus. If we acknowledge that what he did on the cross is the antidote to my sin, we come to him with the skin, with the blood of Jesus over us. And it's then and only then when God the Father accepts us, when he saves us, when he fixes us from the sin virus. Practically speaking, there's nothing better you could do than deal with the sin virus. Three things I want to encourage you to do. Here's our summary. Emotionally, take control of your anxiety. This week, we're going to be sending you four or five videos to show you how to do that. Short little three-minute videos. Be looking for those. Make sure you share them. Second of all, intellectually. Think clearly about the problem, about how God is dealing with what's going on. But finally, practically, lean into Jesus. Now that may mean, you know, help people out, love people. But it also means for some of you, God is leveraging this moment as you're watching. And, and what he wants you to hear is lean into my son Jesus. If you've never dealt with the sin virus, it's far more serious than the corona one. We're going to pray right now with our eyes open. Watch me. Right now, God can hear you. God knows what you're thinking. And I'm wondering if there's someone as you're watching right now that wants to say yes to Jesus. You want to deal with the sin virus. If you do, there's three things. Just admit that you have the sin virus. I, that shouldn't be hard to do. We all have it. We, we all have things inside of us we know aren't good. Admit it. Two, acknowledge that Jesus is the antidote, that he died on the cross to be the antidote. And three, right here, Right now in your heart, this is all you have to do. Say yes to God. Say yes to Jesus. Acknowledge who he is and acknowledge your sin. Do it right now. You don't have to say it out loud, but in your spirit, pray that to God. You do that, you just dealt with the sin virus. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to um, acknowledge that during this difficult time, we want to acknowledge that you are in control we want to acknowledge that uh, you love us and that you care for us. And Father, I, I want to take a moment, we want to take a moment, and we want to pray for our government leaders, not only here in the United States, but around the world, that are doing the best that they can to adjust to what's happening and to give wise counsel. Father, we want to pray for the medical personnel that are doing their darndest to, to serve people and to help people. We want to pray for all the leaders and authorities and schools and such that are just trying to manage this issue. Just pray for them, Father, we pray. Father, we also want to pray, especially also for the elderly that are vulnerable, 
We pray that you would protect them. Uh, We pray that uh, you would keep more people from getting it, that as people are kind of social distancing, that we would stop the spread and that we'd get this under control. Father, we also want to lean into you and acknowledge that you do not want to live and have us live, be controlled by anxiety. Father, we heard you this morning. Father, we, it was a good reminder to know that you're in control. But more importantly, practically, we're leaning into Jesus this morning. Father, I want to acknowledge the, the many people I'm sure that this morning said yes to Jesus and dealt with the sin virus. Assure them in, in their mind and in their spirits that their eternity is j- different because of what they've done. Father, uh, continue to guide us, guide us, continue to encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.